We back? Hey, guys. Good morning. So good to see you. This is our final sermon on the, the book of Luke. And uh, it's been amazing. It's a wonderful book. And uh, as I was reading chapters 23 and 24, which, of course, is the pinnacle of the gospel story of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, um, there was, it, there was a, a bit of it in chapter 24 that jumped out at me, and it reminded me of one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. And that comes in, in the, the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. Uh, now, Ezekiel is like the, I think, the weirdest book in the whole Old Testament. Um, if you're not familiar with this book, and you read it, and like you come in uninitiated, you think this is just a guy who's high on mushrooms the whole time. Like, seriously, it's weird. And, uh, but really, he's a prophet of the Lord, and he's getting these incredible visions. And one of the stranger visions he has uh, comes in chapter 37, when God takes him, uh, and, and he shows him, like he, he takes him over this mass grave. And it's this really strange picture. He's looking over all of these corpses, and they're all, they're all dried out now, and all, all there are is bones. And he's looking, and so, you know, I don't know if it was like a, a battlefield or a, really a place where people had drugged bodies and just let them decay. But uh, God asks him this question. He says, can these bones live again? So here's Ezekiel thinking, you know, you can sort of like put yourself in his shoes here. Can bones live again? No, no, like they're their bones, life doesn't come from death, that's not the way it works, but you're God, and I'm kind of afraid to say that, so I'm going to say, oh Lord, you know, which is sort of the ancient equivalent of, I got nothing, I got nothing, you'll have to say. Something about that story, um, it reminds me of what happens here in, in Luke 23, or particularly in Luke 24, because uh, resurrection was not the norm uh, but here's Jesus stepping in and turning all of the natural order on its head. Uh, it, we'll pick it up in just a minute on verse 33, but, but just to uh, uh, catch you up real quick, Jesus has died, and we, we did a lot of exploring the death of Jesus, of course, around Passion Week. Um, and uh, so he's died, and everyone's devastated, and his, his disciples are hiding, and people are so upset. And there's now been reports that he's come back to life. Uh, there's Peter, but they don't really believe him. And some of the women, like, oh, I don't know. And, but then Jesus appears to these two travelers. And uh, uh, he, he shows himself to them right at the end, like after, after like hours of conversation, right? And, uh, and then suddenly he's like, ta-da, it's me. And they go, <gasps> and then he disappears, like, like Star Trek, like, right? And they suddenly are so excited, they turn around and they run back to Jerusalem, like they've been traveling all day. They go back because they want to tell the disciples, hey, we saw him, he was dead, but, but, so anyway, here we go. Let's pick it up and of course, I left my Bible and my book right there. Pastor Joshua playing so many roles today. Great job, by the way, sir. You can wave to the camera. There you go. Thank you, Pastor Joshua. <laughs> uh, yes, so Luke 24, verse, uh, verse 33. Come on, good old bookmark. Um, okay. They got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together 
the 11, it's the 11 disciples, because Judas was, was gone by this point, uh, and those who are with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experience on the road uh, and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself, being Jesus, stood in their midst and said to them, boo. I probably wasn't boo, but he says, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. By the way, he had to be laughing there. Well, tell me he wasn't laughing there. That would have been a really fun moment. Uh, they, uh, they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit or like a ghost, right? He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. It's actually an incredible detail in the end. He was proving he was not a ghost. He was not Obi-Wan Kenobi coming to help Luke Skywalker. This was a physical resurrection. And, and that detail was put in there for the sake of generations to come who would claim that he was like a ghost. No, no, no. This wasn't a metaphor. This wasn't a trick of the light. This is Jesus Christ who was dead. And, 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 and he, was like, he was like the dry bones coming back to life. Now, I wonder sometimes if we actually uh, put too little emphasis on Jesus' resurrection. And I put myself in this category. We talk all the time about the, the beauty of his sacrifice for us, and rightly so. But sometimes I, I forget, wait, the whole point of a sacrifice, the whole point of him dying was to come back to life and to raise us with him. And I love how he says to them, peace be to you. Like, that's, that's what he says coming back, peace to you. He didn't say peace like stop fighting. But it was a fuller kind of peace. And, and Joshua and I talk about this all the time. It's one of our very favorite words. The biblical idea of peace, especially in the Hebrew, is a fuller picture. It, it, it's shalom. It's wellness. It's, it, it's, it's, uh, um, it, it, it's health. It's uh, goodness in every way, like overflowing. It's, it's richness of life. And that's what he tells them. Peace be to you. That's what he means. Now, it's interesting that he, he says that because starting right about then, these guys' lives was not gonna be filled with the kind of shalom that you'd expect. In fact, these guys would soon be branded heretics and they would soon be driven away, uh, most of them uh, by, by the Jewish leaders thinking they were heretics and hunted down by Romans. Almost every single one of them there died terrible martyrs' deaths. And yet Jesus still said, shalom to you, peace to you. And he said that for this reason. They could have peace, not because circumstances were about to get super easy. No. They could have peace because he was alive. The resurrection brings shalom and is the basis of our shalom. We can, we can experience the peace of Jesus in all circumstances and then freely give it 
to our communities. I think uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 is a great example. Um, it, Jeremiah 29 is, is uh, basically a letter that Jeremiah wrote to a group of exiles. Um, they were almost like kidnapped by the victorious Babylonian army and taken 600 miles away, and they had to start over in this little conclave of a community, and they wanted out so badly, they wanted to go home, and you even had uh, uh, people in their midst saying, thus saith the Lord, we shall go home, we shall defeat Babylon, all these things, all this like sort of false hope coming up. So Jeremiah has to write this letter to them, and he says this, um, God does still have wonderful plans for Israel, uh, and he will bring his people back into Israel after 70 years. And that would have been such a deflating letter to read because you're realizing, wait a minute, I'm gonna be dead after 70 years. He's, yeah, it's true. But, and he says this, seek the welfare of the city. Seek the shalom, that's what that word is. The shalom, the peace, the welfare. It's different words and different translations here. Where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare and its shalom you too will find shalom. And that, I dare say, you guys, is part of our call as the church, to be ministers of shalom uh, in this valley, no matter what the circumstance. I actually wonder, what if we as a church really took seriously, like part of our biggest role is to be peacemakers? What if we took that on, you know, to, to make shalom Hashtag make shalom. Joe the intern, another t-shirt for you. Community, our community really needs shalom right now. You guys know this. Because, guys, our community's nervous. I think we're all a little nervous, frankly. Uh, maybe you don't like that. Maybe you're like the grandson on Princess Bride who says, I wasn't nervous. Well, maybe I was a little bit concerned, but that's not the same thing. And that's fine, I won't push the issue. But I think all of us, frankly, have issues that we are quite concerned about. Uh, and uh, if we're honest with ourselves, um, that, that can stir things up. And I think there's three, can we just put this, let's just lay this out on the table. Let's be, let's be honest and upfront. I think there's three primary things that people are nervous about or concerned about. Um, the first is the coronavirus itself. It's the fact that the virus has killed over 90,000 people and that there is a fairly good chance that we'll see more spikes and those numbers can go way, way up. And that even though it hasn't hit our community, that it could easily hit our community in a big way. And people see that and they're concerned about that. And it makes them wanna be incredibly cautious. And you guys, this is a valid concern. And it's not something to be lightly dealt with. Here's, this, here's, a, here's another one, okay, another concern. Maybe that's not your concern. Another concern uh, is the, the potential fallout of an economic collapse. That it's not just about a 401k losing money, but it's about lives being lost. That it's about severe issues with mental health. Uh, that it's about uh, the quality of life and the poor and the middle class, how everybody experiencing a drastic uh, 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 crash, and, and, and it's a very serious concern. 
And any, if you're trying to deal with these issues and wrestle through it and leaving out that concern, you're really missing something because many of your neighbors are very seriously concerned about this and it's not actually a selfish thing. Here's a third one, ready? Okay, a third concern. Maybe those aren't you. A third concern is the erosion of civil liberties in our country. Many are very concerned about authority figures uh, going too far uh, in, in uh, their statements and in their edicts, et cetera. And you guys, civil liberties, as we all know, I mean, the civil rights movement is, is you know, still pretty recent memory, and we know how important civil liberties are. And, and so we know this is a huge deal. If we get through this thing, we suddenly don't have those things anymore. That's devastating. Now, here's the thing. Most people don't have all three of those concerns. Most people major on one or the other. Uh, or maybe two of them. So here's my question. What happens if you have a different concern than your neighbor has? What do you do then? Maybe you're not concerned about the virus. Maybe you're concerned about over here in the economy. Maybe you're not concerned about the economy. You're worried about your grandparents. Whatever it is. What if your concern doesn't match up? Well, here's the, I think, the sort of human tendency. When somebody's scared about something we're not scared about, we try to talk them out of being scared, right? And so we say things like, stop worrying, everything will be fine. And, and that can sound actually really dismissive and also really laced with denial sometimes. Because the truth is, in this crisis, this is a crisis, none of us knows what's gonna happen. None of us. We don't know if everything's gonna be fine with the virus or with the economy or with civil liberties. We don't know. So we're all doing the best we can here. So when we say things like, everything will be fine, stop worrying. Well, you guys, that's a line that we use with our kids when they're scared of the monster under the bed. But this is a different situation. It's beyond all of us. We don't know what's gonna happen. I can't help but think uh, of our dear Janae, who we lost uh, last spring. And when Janae first went into the hospital, we thought that things were gonna be treatable and of course then really quickly uh, spun out of control and, uh, and we lost her in the matter of a week. But it, in that time, um, people would come and tell her, oh, it's fine, you're gonna be okay, everything's gonna be fine. You'll be out of here in no time. And every time they said it, I, I would, my uh, heart would sink a little bit because I would think, guys, we don't know that. We do not know what's gonna happen with this cancer. And so I couldn't tell her that in good conscience. And, and I, uh, we, were, we were all very, very close with her, but I couldn't bring myself to say that. So what I would say is, Janae, you know how much we love you. <laughs> you know how much the family loves you. You know how much the church loves you. We are gonna stand with you through all of this. You will not go through this alone. And God sees you, Janae, and God loves you. And no matter what, we're with you. And I'm really glad, looking back, that I didn't offer hope that I didn't have to give. I didn't offer assurances that weren't mine to give. Let me tell you though, that last day, we were all, it was a scene that I'll never forget. There was at least 20 of us, maybe 30, all packed into her hospice room. And it was an intense day because we saw she had gone just in a matter of days from uh, the emergency room to intensive care, 
uh, to palliative care and to hospice, and it all happened so quickly. And we were all so disappointed because we had cried out and prayed for a change in the circumstance. And here we were in the afternoon surrounding her bed, knowing that she was about to go from us. And Paul Nunn had his guitar, and he was playing worship songs, and, and we were singing, and she was there, and we were hugging her and, and hugging one another and weeping, and our whole family was just sitting at the foot of her bed, just holding on to each other, just crying and crying, because it was not what we wanted. But let me tell you guys something. Even in the midst of circumstances going completely sideways, there was shalom in that room. And if you were there, as some of you were, you can attest to that. There was shalom in that room. Not because we got the results we wanted, we didn't. There was shalom because Jesus is alive and we knew she was going to see him. It is on the basis of the risen Christ that we have hope. You guys, it's not on the basis of circumstances turning the way we want them to turn, the way that we really think they ought to turn, the, the, the way our sense of justice rises up as it shouldn't be this way. No. Our peace and our hope is linked to Christ, not to circumstances. You guys, for over 2,000 years, the church has faced down one terrible circumstance after another. We face down persecution. We face down terrible scourges and plagues and world wars and, and poverty and famine. And through all of it, somehow the church has held on and maintained its hope because they believed deep down in the core of them more than anything else, they believed that Jesus was alive, that he's resurrected, that he's king, and he's bringing a kingdom. You tell that I'm preaching to my own soul this morning. Because I am. You guys, I've been struggling. Man, this has been, I have slogged through this season. I have not enjoyed it. Um, I've been feeling emotionally and spiritually upside down. And I, I keep wanting the circumstance to change so I can be right again. You know, you read some article, hey, things, things might turn around. You go, oh good, I feel so much better. But then circumstances don't change, so I'm stuck. And I, I know that many of you can relate because this isn't normal and it's not supposed to be this way, right? Well, it's not supposed to be this way with our souls either because Jesus offers something better than being so pinned to the ups and downs of the daily news. Jesus offers something better. He offers shalom in the midst of the tempest. He speaks to the storm, be still. Peace be with you. And that sort of brings me back to our prophet hanging over the dry bones, you know. Can these bones live again? And God tells him, Ezekiel, speak to the bones, speak life. And there in his vision, these bones begin to come together and to stand up. And the, f the flesh returns to them, and, and before his eyes, the mass grave becomes a crowd of breathing, resurrected people. And I dare say, that's a vision for us in our valley today. I'm co-opting that. I'm co-opting Ezekiel 37. Jesus came back to life so that we could come back to life, you guys. 
He came back to life so that we could invite others to come back to life too, no matter the circumstance. And today I think he would say to me and to you and to Christ Center and to our whole Willamette Valley, peace be with you. I wanna close with the words of Catherine McNeil who wrote this wonderful book, All Shall Be Well. We must rise and move forward again and again each day, not in spite of the pain, not with false, naive trust, but with the pain and in perfect trust. There is no trick or gimmick, no way to escape. There is only God. And as we endure, as we choose life again and again, we grow stronger. We learn to see him even in the dark. Friend, this is the truth. This reality is where God lives and where we find him, where we worship him. This is the only place where life can be truly and fully embraced. This request to live abundantly in a world of pain and beauty is an invitation to life. It's hard. So hard during the winter seasons of life and of our souls. I tremble with fear at the thought of putting the truth to paper, putting this truth to paper, of saying it aloud. But here is the truth, and with God's help, I summon the courage to say it. We can rejoice in all circumstances. With God's help, we shall strengthen the muscles of endurance and rejoice even in the dark. With God as our helper, we will stand in the day of trouble and we will dance. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we desire your shalom. We desire the true resurrection life that you've offered, you've offered to us. Help us, Lord, to embrace it. Help us to trust you even in the midst of our fears, even in the midst of our concerns, even in the midst of our arguments. May we trust you above all things. May we trust in the power of your resurrection. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Have a wonderful week. It's great to be with you.